especially if you love college basketball. It's called March Madness for a reason. It's a little crazy every year when the NCAA has their tournament, men's and women's teams get together and they start this royal battle to see who's going to be uh, the national champion. This was the first year for the Swan family to all fill out brackets. So Titus and Timothy and Allison and Shauna and I each took our turn and we filled out our brackets. We were getting ready for March Madness and Titus came to me and it was his time to fill out his bracket and I just kind of explained the, the parameters and showed him the seatings so that he could have something to go off of as he was picking his team. And then I explained how it's madness. It doesn't really work the way that it's supposed to work. So, uh, you know, it's totally up to you, whatever teams you wanted to pick. Well, Titus decided that he was a loyal Texan. And so his final four had Baylor, had U of H, and had Texas, and then Gonzaga, because everybody was talking about Gonzaga. So that was his final four, which worked out pretty well. He got three out of the four, final four. And he decided that as a loyal Houstonian, the University of Houston was going to win uh, the national championship. So Titus drew up his bracket. We all uh, drew up our bracket, and we had no idea that the seven-year-old was going to whip us, all of us. As we were going round by round, we kept watching it. The first round passed, and Titus was in first place out of the five swans. He was in the first place uh, well in the 90s uh, nationwide, and we thought, wow, this is, this is an amazing star. Went to uh, the next round and the next round, and Titus continued to excel. By the time we were going into the final four, uh, Titus was in the 98.6th percentile of the nation. Not only was he whipping the swans, but he was whipping most of you as well. Little Titus was making it happen. And then it came time uh, as we were leading into the final four uh, for the round of eight. And if any of you are U of H fans, the Jeff Breslins and Ty Camps and Alan Nippers and Daniel Falkensteins among us. You were probably on the edge of your seat if you watched that game along with Titus and Timothy and me. Because here was the round of eight and U of H was playing Oregon State. And it got really serious here because... Uh, they were up, U of H was up, I think by 17 or something like that when we started watching, uh, but they started to lose their lead and they got down to where they were only up by about 11 or 12 and, and Titus started getting nervous and, and he said, Dad, uh, what do you think's going to happen? Do you think they're going to lose? It looks like they're going to lose. Their, their lead is deteriorating. And I said, Titus, I think they're still okay. Uh, they're up by 11 or 12, and, and that's, that's a really big lead to have in the second half. I think they'll be okay. Well, things got worse, and the lead slipped into single digits, and then it slipped closer to only about five points. And all of a sudden, I went from the encouraging dad to preparing myself to be the consoling dad. And I thought, Titus is about to be crushed here. And so we were getting lower and lower. And I said, Titus, I, I just got to tell you, I'm not so confident anymore in the University of Houston. I think this might not go real well. And I just, I just want to prepare you and just let you know. Well, the thing got lower and lower and closer to an even ball game. And by this point, we're getting towards the end of the game. Titus and I are hanging on every possession. And U of H brings the ball down the court on this one possession. And it's coming time for this critical shot. And the guy goes to hoist up the ball. And I hear Titus say, in the name of Jesus, make the shot. <laughs> 
And all I can say is that U of H went on a run at that point and won the game comfortably. Now, if you saw what happened yesterday in the Final Four, you may have some chagrin at the fact that I had a theological conversation with Titus after the round of 16, and apparently U of H needed me not to do that based on the, the whopping that they, they took yesterday in the Final Four. So I apologize to all the U of H fans that I had a theological conversation with my son, whom I believe carried them through the round of eight. There is something about seeing the power of God in our lives. And Titus has had a front row seat to witness that, along with the Swans, as we've had the incredible privilege, together with many of us in our Hope family, of seeing God do a lot of things through the years. And once you see the power of the name of Jesus at work, it changes you. People can ask me, why do you believe that Jesus is true? Why do you believe that he's worth staking your life on? Why do you believe that he's worth dying for? Well, I can give you theological reasons, I can give you historical reasons, I can give you biblical reasons, I can give you a whole host of reasons, but I tell you the number one reason is that he has changed me. I have seen so many miracles in my life, but the greatest miracle that I've witnessed is the way that my life went from the darkness where God found me and how he plucked me out of that and did something in me. I've seen the power of Jesus in me. I've seen the way that by the power of Jesus, people who are, are sick have become healed. I've seen those who have dealt with, with demonic attack who have been set free. I have seen miracles where people needed financial provision and relational reconciliation and all types of things that have happened through the name of Jesus. And, and when you've heard those stories and you've borne witness to that and you've been in on those prayer times as Titus has, then when those key moments in life come, you want to call on the name of Jesus. And we never see Jesus' power and, and, and this greater illustration of who he is than with his resurrection from the dead. 2,000 years later, it's, it's almost something that so many of us take for granted. That Jesus came as the Son of God. He lived a perfect life in the midst of a very broken world. And then he died on the cross as our sacrifice, yours and mine, to take his sin, our sin, upon himself. He's perfect. We're not. And because we're not perfect, we have no right to enter into the presence of God. We have no way to be together with him for all eternity. So God sent Jesus because he loves us so that Jesus could die and take the punishment that we deserve and take our sin upon himself and make us clean if we believe in him and trust in him and follow him so that we can also be with him one day in heaven. Jesus changed everything for us. But the reality of what happened, just how brutal that Friday was on the cross, how horrific that silent Saturday was when Jesus was still in the grave. And how unbelievably glorious that Sunday was when he came up out of the grave. It's so easy for us to miss that, isn't it? If we've heard these types of stories our whole life. So I hope today as we can read from John 20, uh, the spirit of the living God will just refresh our hearts with this once again. Let's begin in John chapter 20. 
Verse 1, just a little bit of a backdrop. Jesus has just died on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus from John 3, 16, went and took Jesus' body and put it in a grave. It was late on Friday. The Sabbath was starting, which would have started at 6 p.m. Friday night until 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And as good Jews, uh, they could not do work on the Sabbath and had restrictions on the Sabbath. It was their day of rest. And so they were rushing to get Jesus in the grave by 6 p.m. on Friday. Saturday was, I think, the worst day in all of history. Jesus is in the grave and the disciples Cannot do anything about it. And then you come to early the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, which is now our day of worship because it's the day when Jesus rose from the dead. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Mary Magdalene is an amazing lady. The Bible tells us that she had seven demons that were driven out of her. We think that... She was a lady who deeply loved Jesus because of how he had touched her life. If you read through the scriptures, at the moment when Jesus was on the cross, there were some ladies that were there, a handful of ladies, and Mary Magdalene was one of them. And I love the fact that early on Sunday morning, she is there rushing to the grave because she wants to finish preparing his body for burial. She came back, she found Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, who is probably John, the author of this book. So Peter and John. And what did they do when they heard the news? They rushed to the grave. What you see in these followers of Jesus is just an overwhelming love for him. They deeply loved him. You know, the thing about journeying with God is that the longer you go, the more you experience his work in your life. There's so many reasons why our love our King. But I can tell you that the most personal is because of how he has touched me and rescued me. And I've seen him do things in myself I never thought was ever possible. I've seen his mercies and his his blessing and his grace on our lives. As Monica was singing earlier, I just had tears in my eyes worshiping our king. The things that he does for us that we will never deserve. And you almost get that picture here with, with Peter and John and Mary Magdalene. They were rushing to the grave because they wanted to see what had happened to their Lord. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter following him, came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. Now these are the cloths that would have been wrapped around Jesus, linen cloths around his body when he was buried, and and a a face cloth that went around him. They would have wanted to unwrap him then on Sunday to finish preparing his body uh, for burial, but he would have been wrapped up. So 
when they walked in, when they rushed in, Simon Peter and John, Peter saw the linen cloths lying there, verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself of the entire resurrection story. This is what amazes me the most. There is a face cloth around Jesus, as well as the linen cloths around his body. And when they walked in the tomb, they saw the linen cloths there and the face cloth that had been folded up. Now, the concern at that time was maybe grave robbers had come and stolen his body, but they wouldn't have folded up the face cloth, much less taken off the rest of the cloth. They would just grab the body with the cloth wrapped around and, and run. The story that was going to come in later times is that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus, but why would they have left the linen cloths? And why in the world would they have folded the face cloths? I love that when our king rose from the dead, he took time to fold the face cloth. Doesn't that tell you something about who God is? Never in a rush. Never out of control. Experiencing the greatest moment the world had ever seen. And he takes time to fold the face cloth. If he does that to his faith cloth, face cloth, he has definitely got your life. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what seems like it's harried and out of control. I don't know the strands and the themes of your life that seem like they aren't quite weaving together just right. If Jesus is going to rise from the dead and fold his face cloth, he is most definitely going to orchestrate your life. I love what we sang earlier. The same power that is at work in Jesus rising from the dead is at work in you and me. God is moving in our lives the same way today that he did when he rose Jesus from the dead. And if that face cloth was folded, you had better believe that he is orchestrating your life in just the right way. It's an incredible story of what Simon Peter and, and John were finding. Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now Jesus had prophesied that he would rise from the dead, but they didn't get it. And the testimony was there in the Old Testament, but they had not yet grasped it. And so here they were coming face to face with truth that they were not yet fully comprehending. But John saw and he believed. And then, as you would expect, they went back to their homes. But look at what Mary did, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. This is incredible. Simon Peter, who later was going to be the leader of the church. John, who was known as the one whom Jesus loved. They both left. I mean, I would have too. I'd have been in such shock and stunned. And, well, Jesus isn't here. I'm just going to leave. But Mary was almost so caught up in the moment. And she just stood there weeping. You can imagine this lady had these seven demons driven out of her. Now, we don't know what she was like in those days. We aren't totally sure what she experienced when she was so strongly demonized. But you can imagine that part of her life was a wreck. Maybe she was walking in a lot of sin, maybe in a lot of shame. Maybe she was ostracized from society as often would have happened back in the Jewish culture of that day. 
Maybe Jesus had loved her in a way that no one had ever loved her before. Maybe he had touched her and cared for her in a way she'd never experienced. Maybe the power of God at work in her life just gripped her heart. But something happened. Something compelled her to be that one early Sunday morning who was racing to the grave. The one who came back again with Peter and John and the one who would not leave. And she's the one who's about to experience a far greater miracle than Peter and John even tasted of themselves. I love that when Mary was weeping and stirred up and all this, she didn't just run home. She didn't just move on with life. But she just, she just sat in it. And Simon's testimony just reminds us today that in the midst of that grief, God is there with us. In the midst of what we go through, our, our, our hope family, our church family, they're, they're there together with us. And, and I love that, that Mary Magdalene here in the midst of this time didn't just preoccupy herself with other things, but she just stood there weeping. And then she wanted to look in the grave. She's trying to process and, and understand. And look what happened here. Verse 12, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. You almost feel the angst in her. Mary Magdalene just crying and saying, where's Jesus? She still thinks that he's dead at this point. She has no idea that he's come back from the dead. And all she wants to do is prepare his body for burial. She just want to honor him because of who he is and because of what he's done in her life. There is such a profound love that Mary Magdalene has for Jesus. But look what happens next. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Maybe he looked different. I mean, he would have been all beaten up by the time that he died. Or maybe there's something else different about his appearance. We don't really know, but she couldn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her, verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Oh, I love that question. I love it. Here's Jesus. She didn't know who he was, and he just wants to know what's on your heart, Mary. What are you, what are you hungry for? What are you crying about? What are you longing for? What are you yearning for? It's the same question God wants to ask you tonight. Some of us, I'm afraid, are caught up in the things of this world. Maybe it's that guy or girl that we so badly want to date. Maybe it's that job position that really consumes us. Maybe it's our financial hardship or the relational turmoil. Maybe it's just the bigger picture of what's going on in life, whether it's COVID or politics or the racial issues that so divide our country. Maybe there's so many things that are stirring in you. And it's almost as if God would want to say to you today, yeah, but what do you really, really, really care about? What are you hungry for in the deepest part of who you are? If your heart's cracked open, we could see what lies under everything else. What is that deepest, rawest hunger? Here's Mary just weeping. And Jesus says, whom are you seeking? Look what happens here. Supposing him to be the gardener, verse 15. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him 
and I will take him away. In other words, tell me where he is and I'm going to go to him. I'm going to take care of Jesus' body. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, one word, one word, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, which was the common language of that day, Rabboni, which means teacher. So that's how Jesus was commonly addressed. He was a rabbi, so Rabboni, and he was commonly addressed as teacher. But how did Jesus speak to her? He just called her by name. God knows you today. In the midst of wherever you are and whatever you're going through, maybe you haven't prayed in years, but he knows you, he loves you, he, he cares for you. And today he just reaches out his hand just to touch your heart and just to call you by name. This past week, I was facing a real, a real issue with my passport. I really needed to get a passport appointment, and something's going on with travel in, in this country, and that more and more people are, are starting to travel again because of COVID vaccines and everything else, and it's become really hard to get a passport appointment. It can be like, like months now, so I had been working on this for a couple weeks and kept making calls and doing research and trying to do all I could. And I, I could not, for the life of me, find an appointment. I needed one really quick. And so finally, after I don't know how many phone calls with my sister helping me out and making calls, I was making calls. Finally, I got through to a guy. And he said, sir, uh, the next passport appointment is, is going to come up in June. And I began to plead my case about how I just so desperately needed to get in if there was any way possible. And then he, he said, well, actually, I have an appointment tonight, and it's at 8 p.m. downtown Houston, if you can be there. And I said, I'll be there. And I couldn't believe how God had just opened the door. So I, I rushed down there. I didn't know any office in downtown Houston was open at 8 p.m., but I got there, went in. And uh, had my passport appointment. And as I started, I was interacting with one lady who was helping me. And there was another lady, the supervisor in the back. And she was hearing about how I'm going back and forth to South Sudan. So she started talking to me, asking why. She was an amazing opportunity for me to share about what's worth that much travel, which is the work of God. So I began to share with her. Next thing I knew, she came around the counter, began breaking uh, some COVID protocols, I think, and uh, standing next to me, showing me pictures of how God had touched her life, this testimony that she could give, the story she was telling me. Next thing I know, she starts walking out with me after my appointment, and we stand in the hallway for a long time. It's like 8.45 at night, and we're out there in the hallway in downtown Houston, and, and she's bearing testimony to the power of God in her life, how her husband had a horrible accident, never was supposed to walk again, but God touched him and brought him up to walk again. All these different stories, she began to tell me one after another of everything God had done. And I said, you have seen so many miracles. And she said, I love him so much. She'd experienced the power of God. But what touched her so much wasn't the power of God, but was the love of God. It was the power reflecting the heart behind it, the love of God that had so gripped her. And Mary Magdalene experiences that here. Jesus says, Mary. And she just breaks. She turns and says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, 
Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus calls the disciples his brothers. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Over the next 40 days, Jesus would appear to more than 500 people, explaining many things to them. How he was the fulfillment of these old promises and helping them understand all these things about the kingdom of God. And then he would ascend into heaven and he would give his Holy Spirit, his presence to dwell within the hearts of all who love Jesus, who follow him and who surrender everything to him. And I want to invite you to do that today, to accept this powerful death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus so that his presence can come into your life if you never trusted him before. Then allow him to do all that he wants to do in your life, to breathe hope and joy and and healing into you, all because of what happened that day when he came back from the dead. The scriptures say it so well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes though it is refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and are filled with joy that is inexpressible. And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask our music team and our prayer team to come. As we move into this time of prayer, we want to invite you to come to our prayer team up front. As we begin to sing in a moment, you'll have that opportunity, whether you're a guest or a covenant member. We'd be honored to pray with you, believing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That his power is with us today. That same power that brought Jesus back from the dead, that this resurrection story is alive in our hearts and alive in this place. I don't know what you're going through today, but I knew know the God of miracles, and I know that he'd love to meet you and touch you in power. Father, we thank you for how you are stirring in this place today, for the power of singing to you, praying to you, bearing testimony to who you are, and now hearing from your word, from the scriptures, from the Bible. With this incredible story of 2,000 years ago that has altered our eternities. Thank you for the power of the name of Jesus. And how when we pray in his name and walk in his name, we are forever changed. Father, I pray for any of us across this room tonight that have, have yet to surrender all things to you. Maybe even tonight we came through these doors just holding on to certain aspects of our lives, struggling to release it all to you. And I pray that right now, in this moment, it would be our time to open our hearts and open our hands to you and invite you, Lord Jesus, to come and stir in us so that we can experience your love 
your grace, your mercy, and your power like never before. We ask that you would touch us. We ask that you would change us. We ask that you would fill us with that inexpressible joy and that you would be glorified. Will you move now as we pray? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.